Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I remember one of my uh, teachers when I was a young boy said, well, this is how you remember it, Jim. Shake the bed, make the bed, and to bed we go. Anybody else hear that before? Yeah, but I guess that was just their way. Of, I've never forgotten that, but I've never forgotten this story as well. Just one of these, these great, great Old Testament stories that we find in redemptive history. Uh, since my retirement, I've been studying the book of Daniel. Um, like three and a half months, and I've kind of written about three message, uh, 11 sermons on that, on that uh, book, and I hope to preach it here and there over my next several months. What a powerful, powerful story. I, I love these Old Testament prophets because everything they, they spoke for and against then is still stuff that we face today. Uh, the book of Daniel is, is, is one of those, and it, it's all about God's sovereignty. This is one of the great truths, the great truths of, of our Reformed faith. All throughout Scripture, from beginning to end, you'll, you'll find uh, professions about the sovereignty of God over the world, over every single human being. And that, that, in fact, if you write in your Bibles, you could put this at the beginning of every chapter, chapters 1 through 12, this, this phrase, God is in control in spite of how things may appear in your life. It's huge. God is in control in spite of what's happening around you to make you to doubt it otherwise. The sovereignty of God over the world and let's just talk for a few moments this morning about this, this, this great chapter in Daniel. A lot of us are familiar with Daniel in the lion's den. I kind of started there, but I kept coming back to Daniel 3 of these three young teenagers uh, who just has, have this great profession of faith. What we learned, first of all, in chapter 3 is, is that as believers, uh, those who trust in God's sovereignty, that this uh, trust that they have and this trust that we have, are going to be put to the test. And they're put to the test when we face the cultural pressures of trying to cash in our biblical convictions for the standards of this world. Think about it for a moment. The pressure that is on everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior to conform our thinking to, to the thinking of the world. Chapter 3, as mentioned, is about these three teenagers. Most believe they were like 14, 15, 16, right in there sometime, which makes this all the more amazing. These weren't like uh, uh, aged men of faith who, who lived a life and, and who, who grasped and held on to their faith. These were still rather young men, trained extensively, we read that in chapter 1, trained in the ways of Babylon. And yet, because of their Jewish upbringing, had a rich, rich, deep faith in who God was. Now, the book of Daniel, this begins with, with uh, these three boys and the Jewish nation in, in captivity. Uh, when you sin, there are consequences. And for some 70 years, this was the beginning of 70 years of captivity, that God was punishing them for their sins. There was no way getting out of it. Remember, some prophets said, oh, it's just going to be for two and you're going to be let go. The other prophets tell us, no, Jeremiah, there's 70, and you're going to have to endure every single year. And during these 70 years, as we find it here already at the beginning, we find that this trust in the sovereignty of God is going to be put to the test. 
Just keep that phrase in your mind this morning. The trust or the faith even that we have in the sovereignty of God is put to the test. These three young men, uh, probably because these, these leaders, these political leaders were envious of them and the positions they held in the Babylonian Empire, uh, they, they came with this decree that this huge 90-foot, well, this, this kind of picture, 90 feet, however high, high that may be, this 90-foot statue was made, and they come up with that idea with Nebuchadnezzar that everyone should bow down to it and to bow down before no other God. Three teenagers, and they were put to the test. Bow down or else, let's just call it instant cremation, right? Did you hear how hot? How hot that fire was? I mean, you could just walk up, whether it was kind of down a little, sounds like it was down below somewhat, that even those who got close to it were burned. It was so hot. And even made hotter by Nebuchadnezzar, he became so furious with the guys that they were going to change their mind. Our faith and trust in his God is put to the test with the sovereignty of God. And we wonder if God is worth trusting. Bow down, they said, or burn. Challenged, of course, as good Jewish boys to break the third commandment. Have no other gods before me? Do not bow down to them or serve them. Just a few chapters later, in chapter 6, we find the story of Daniel and the boys and girls. What? The lion's den. Same kind of thing is happening. There is a decree that went out. Daniel, you've got to stop praying to the God that you serve. Stop it. And if you don't stop praying, you're going to go to the lions. You're going to be their supper. The same kind of challenge that was given to these three young men. And we note that throughout these chapters, throughout the book of Daniel, we find that, that their moral integrity, their moral rightness is challenged. If you live this way, there are going to be consequences that you will not like, whether it's going to be the furnace or whether it's going to be the lion's den. Moral integrity, just as ours is put to the test. And what do you think? As teenagers, how would they respond to the pressure? Would they be willing to, to, to cash in their biblical convictions? Would they be willing to conform to the standards of the Babylonian Empire? You see, whenever we're pressed to live differently than what we are called to as Christians or believers, whenever we are pressed, there's a choice you have to make every single day. A choice. Will I be a person of moral integrity? Will I make the right decision? Or will I cave in and conform to the standards of this world? Now, some 2,500 years have passed since we hear this story of redemptive history. And we know that uh, well, when it comes to culture and cultural standards, cultural behavior, things haven't changed a whole lot. Those of us who are Christians, we, we face the same pressures to conform that these three young men and Daniel face and the whole Jewish nation as far as that goes. The same pressure of conforming our biblical convictions to the standards of this world. Not only to the standards, but to the behavior. And our trust, and maybe you've some of you are facing this right now because I know, as always, there's stuff that goes on in your life 
sometimes there comes to a point where you begin to question the sovereignty of God in your life, whether God is really in control because of what's happening to you in your circumstances. And you wonder, if is God really all that he says he is? And we're put to the test. Some of you here this morning are teenagers, 16, 15, 18, no older than these three young Jewish boys. And you've already discovered in your teenage years that your faith and trust in God is put to the test at an early age. The pressure to conform. The constant pressure of saying, uh, when when, when Scripture says, keep the marriage bed pure. And yet you find with so many people around you still trying to teach you that what's the matter with you? Are, are you going to be the odd personality? Are you going to be the weird one? Are you going to be Mr. and Mrs. Righteous? Or are you going to fit into the norm of society and give up your virginity before marriage? <laughs> that pressure is on you, I know, weekly, monthly, from friends. The pressure, of course, that comes with the alcohol, um, with drugs, with addictions, peer pressure, truly peer pressure, a big deal, and learning how to confront it and to deal with it. And how about, um, I don't want to say more recently, but it, it's again in the news often, and I know our, young, our youth group has dealt with this in the near past, the pressure to redefine gender identity, that God made us male and female. And now we have a, a society, a culture that says, oh, but that's just not it. It's more than just male or female. Those aren't the only two genders. There are many more, and you have to know, identify me for who I am, who I say that I am. And if you refuse to conform, I recall that's going through my teenage years. If you refuse to conform, you won't be accepted in certain groups that you really would like to be accepted in. Because you don't want to be the Mr. or Mrs. righteous moral person. You want to fit in like everyone else. Now, I've learned over my years, as you leave your teenage years and go into adulthood, you find out that those pressures don't change, do they? Sometimes you go, oh, made it out of those teenage years like those three boys did in in our story. But we find as we grow into adults that our trust in the sovereignty of God is, is put to the test as well. And you wonder if God is really in control. And it's all in how we respond to the pressure of our culture and our way of thinking and in our way of acting and behaving. As adults, we're pressured to conform our thinking. Now, there's a hundred ways. I'm going to list six or seven this morning and see if this isn't true. How often now are we still hearing almost daily Stop saying that marriage is only between a man and a woman. What's the matter with you? Get with the program. Get with the culture. Get with a secular mindset. Marriage is so much more than that. It's time to get out of that old hat white school of thinking. You should move on. Stop saying, as we just talked about with teenagers, that there are only two genders, male and female. Even though that's what the Bible clearly states. Clearly. What's the matter with you? You've got to broaden your understanding. It's time to change your way of thinking. Stop accepting 
what is it called, and recently have the, the Christian Reformed Church Human Sexuality Report and its findings, which state in the positive, the, the biblical understanding of, of, of gender with male and female. Throw that report aside. Those pastors and leaders don't know what they're talking about. You got to move on to think more like culture. And how about this Sunday? Stop celebrating. Right to life. Abortion is the right of every woman. And they should have a right to have abortions. You've got to stop your way of thinking. You've got to stop your way of acting. And it's time to accept it. Time to accept the truth, according to them, that the Bible is the only word of truth that we have. It's, it only contains absolute truth that God has given to us. You've got to open up in your way of thinking. There are many religious books and many religious leaders that, that contain truth as well. In fact, when you talk about truth, he says, let's talk about relativism. It simply means what truth is to you, it's to you. What my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. It doesn't matter if it differs from biblical truth. It's time to get on board and accept that there are many truths to be accepted. Choose the one that fits you the best. Or pluralism. How many times have you been challenged or pressured in, in, in believing that Jesus is the only way to salvation? And pluralism says, oh, what's the matter with you? How can you be so exclusive in your way of thinking? How can you be so exclusive? There are many ways to be saved. Many roads to God. Choose the one that you find your way to God. All being pressured in, in, in our mindset, and our way of thinking, to conform our beliefs, our biblical convictions and standards, to conform to a cultural mindset. When the pressure is on, they have, they have, there's one goal in mind, and that's simply to conform. And if you don't conform, and if you truly live out your, your Christian values, if you truly believe the Bible is the word of God and, and, and understand how a Christian thinks and acts, if you do not conform, what you can expect is persecution, harassment. You can expect to be a recipient of what's called cancel culture, where your voice is going to be silenced, and they try to silence your voice. They don't want to hear what the Bible teaches. They don't want to hear what Christianity teaches. So they'll do everything in, their, in your power, in their power, to silence your voice regarding these matters. You can also expect, I, I, I face that often as a pastor, verbal character assassination. Oh, you're, you're part of that hate religion, are you? How can you hate people so much? How can you hate homosexuals so much. That's what they accuse Christians of anyway, even though we don't. You're part of that hate religion. How can you be so intolerant? How can you be so irrelevant? You are so narrow-minded, Pastor Jim, so exclusive, so judgmental. It's time to conform and compromise, right? It's time to give up those biblical convictions. You've got to be more inclusive and accepting. Because that's how Jesus would be in these matters. It should be no surprise to us when we are persecuted or harassed, when we seek to uphold biblical truth. No surprise at all. Jesus, in fact, said in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when people insult you. Listen now. Blessed are you for those when you are persecuted and who falsely say all kinds of evil against you. 
rejoice against me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Prophets just like Daniel. And Peter says, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Live any length of time as a Christian and you will soon discover and you'll even uh, just be, be uh, pressured with questioning the sovereignty of God in your life. And if God really is who he says he is and it will be put to the test and you will have to make a choice. And what kind of choices have you made? How are you going to respond? These three boys had to respond to, to the decrees of the king. Daniel had to respond. How are we as Christians to respond to the pressure to conform? You see, you either stay with a minority or you just kind of cave and, and you, you go in with a majority of a mindset. And each and every one of you need to choose. Now, as a, as a community, as a body of believers, we like to have a, a communal mindset. It's good to have people surrounding you to, 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 to help be there with you to, to, with that mindset. But you, in the end, have to choose yourself. Am I going to uphold what I believe concerning biblical convictions? Or I'm just sick and tired of the harassment and the persecution for my way of thinking, and I'm going to cave in. And I'm going to think like culture and act like culture. Good news how these three Jewish boys responded. This just amazes me. Remember, these are young Young men, young men, these three Jewish teenagers chose to trust in the sovereignty of God, no matter what the consequences or what the cost. Having the trust in God, have, having faith in God, always comes with a cost if you seek to uphold it. Notice their public profession of faith. We're going to hear these public profession of faith in a few moments. Probably one of my favorite professions of faith in Scripture. Listen again to what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We believe that our God, our sovereign God, who controls all things to their appointed end, we believe that he is able to deliver us. But if he does not, we will not bow down to the image. This is, this is a courageous, uncompromising kind of trust in God willing to be cremated in a moment, just as Daniel was willing to be thrown to the lions, trusting God, keeping their moral integrity. And this just challenges me as a Christian. I, I trust it challenges you as a Christian as well uh, to possess that same kind of courage and trust in God. You know, the Bible says, do not conform to the world. It doesn't take a whole lot of uh, interpretation or, or, or highly exegetical people to come to that conclusion. It's very clear. When it comes to making decisions about how you're going to act and think, 
Do not conform to the patterns of this world. <coughs> and this morning, God is calling you once again to renew your trust and faith in him in this way. Do not give in to the pressure. It's a full court pressure, just like full court pressure in basketball. This is a full court pressure on your mindset and your behavior. The phrase I like that I read one author is simply this. This just really hits the nail on the head. To draw a line where scripture draws a line. That's basic, but it's so powerful. We draw the line there and nothing else. As a child, I remember singing in, in church school, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. I don't know if we sing those songs anymore or not. It was in a little brown book, I think something like that, and it was like dare to be a Daniel, this whole matter of, of daring to stand alone. It's hard to stand alone. It's hard to be part of the minority, isn't it? It's really hard. That's why it's so important to be part of a church body and a family like here at Roselawn. We, we sometimes you have to stand alone with, with a congregation of people with the same kind of thinking and the same kind of mindset. No compromise. No conform. I am not going to cash in my biblical convictions to live like the rest of the world. I'm going to make the right choice to uphold the sovereignty of God in my life to grasp it at whatever the cost may be. Well, how did God respond to these teens with, with this great, powerful profession? Our God will deliver us, and if he doesn't, we're not going to do what you ask. Is God worth trusting? Is God really sovereign over all? Is God really in control, in, in, in such control, even though circumstances might seem to appear otherwise? The scriptures are very clear this morning that, that God is able. What a powerful rescue story. Powerful. All of a sudden, there are four people in the furnace. Four. Remember, that's just kind of like, wait a minute. One, two, three. Who, who, who threw this fourth person in? Well, most believe it was probably an angel that God sent put alongside of them. Some believe it was Jesus himself, which wouldn't be a surprise because Jesus already was alive then. Whatever the case was, God sends this person down in the flames with them to rescue them. A, a fiery furnace, not a singe. The, the, the guys, the, the, the mighty men that threw them in, they were burned, burned completely just by throwing them in. They come out of the fire, not even a hair, huh? not even a hair cinched from them. Just like Daniel, when, when the other king, Darius, I believe, called him to come out of the, the lion's den. Not a scratch, petting these cats all night. They were just cats, not a scratch. Even King Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 29, wow, no other God can save in this way. No other God. God is able to rescue, and God is able to rescue you as God is able to rescue me from anything that we face in our lives. No matter what the cost, he's able to step in. Uh, one verse that 
came to mind to me was, first of all, here in Psalm 147, God is great and he's mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. We sing it for moments ago, how firm a foundation. I will strengthen you and help you and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent, all-powerful hand. And another stanza, I will strengthen you and help you to stand. Not only that, when through fiery trials, oh, we have fiery trials as well like the three boys. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient will be your supply. What a powerful hymn and what a powerful testimony. Trusting in a sovereign God to rescue and deliver. It's a matter of making the right choice. And this isn't a one-time choice, you see. You have to make this choice every morning. <laughs> every time you step outside the door, you've got to make that choice. I am going to just stand behind what I believe, that great doctrine of the sovereignty of God. I'm going to uphold it. I believe God is in control no matter what circumstances I'm facing. I'm going to keep trusting in him no matter what. Because I know when I leave my home, and you don't even have to leave your home for it, you can be on the computer, you can be on television, you're going to see plenty of it there. Whatever the case is, I'm going to remain in the minority. And when tempted and pressured to do otherwise, I'm going to stand firm. Powerful story. As I said, this whole book of Daniel, as I was in it for some three months, sovereignty of God, God is in control, no matter how the circumstances around you may appear. God is sovereign. Now, that's not a bad place to end the message. But, I, but there's one thing that still has to somehow be grasped or explained. You say, Pastor Jim, I made a choice. Some of us a long time ago, some of us are going to reaffirm that choice today. I made a choice to trust the sovereign God. I've made that choice. I believe in God the Father Almighty. We say it in one of our creeds. I believe that he's able. I believe that God is in control in spite of all circumstances around me may appear. I believe that God knows how to rescue me. You really believe that? But maybe there's somebody here today, somebody listening online, that says, but Pastor Jim, my struggle is, is, is in their profession in verse, eight, verse 18 when it says, but... Even if he does not. Pastor Jim, I've been in the furnace of affliction for some time. I can't tell you how many times I've been on my knees praying to be delivered and for God to step in and to rescue me. But the fact is, Pastor Jim, I'm still waiting. And I've been in this furnace of affliction for a long time. Where is this deliverance? that I know God is able to do. Where is it? Why doesn't God step in with this omnipotent, righteous hand and rescue me? Because I know and believe that he can. He did it to these three boys. He, he's done it th through others in redemptive history. There are people sitting around me in the, in the church this morning who received that rescue. But here I am, still unrescued in the very real sense of the word, and not delivered. And you know, it's, many of us here have experienced that trusting God, even if he does not, is really tough. Because this is where, where, where trust and faith hits the road, the rubber, right? It's easy to trust God when he delivers you from everything you've asked to be delivered from. Not so easy to trust God when he chooses not to deliver you from what you want to be delivered from. Because that is when your faith then is put to the test. And you might begin to question 
the sovereignty of God. Is he really truly who he says he is? Is God really able to do this? Is he truly in control? Because if he were, he would rescue me. This is a hard teaching. A really, really hard teaching. Because the answer that we want to hear, and the answer that we want to hear from God to our why questions, it's simply beyond their understanding. God is infinite in wisdom. Part of his sovereignty is infinite wisdom, his plan and his purpose for you and for me. It's not the same plan, per se, for everyone. And in his infinite wisdom, according to his plan and purpose for you, and, and even more so for his church, and even more so for his kingdom, his plan and purpose is it's going to prevail. And how he uses you in that kingdom is part of that plan. And I wish I could explain it to you more clearly, but it, there's nothing more clearly about it God's sovereignty is at work here, and, and, and it's up to us. If you're one of these people in this furnace of affliction waiting to be rescued, there are other ways that God can rescue you by giving you him, him his grace that is sufficient and to see you through. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Do you have that kind of trust? You see, in the end, when it comes to someone like yourself who, who caught those words, but even if he does not, what you have to ask yourself is this in closing. What kind of trust and faith do I have in God? Do I have the even if kind of trust? Or do I have the kind of trust that I will only have if God gives me exactly the kind of deliverance that I'm asking for? That's what you're faced with this morning. Just how much can I really trust God? Charles Spurgeon says... When you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow on which to lay your head. Wow. Tonight, when you go to bed, when you lay your head on your pillow, just let this message ring into your heart, into your ears, your mind, understanding the sovereignty of God. And that by embracing the sovereignty of God, even when circumstances seem out of control, even when God hasn't rescued you in the way that he wants as a believer, as a Christian, that God will grant you his peace and his comfort and see you through. Whenever and if ever that rescue might come in the way you would like it in this lifetime. One verse that, that kept going through my head as I prepared this message and, and this subject matter was 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 18. I think it's 4, verse 18. My God, we're Paul's about ready to be murdered just weeks, months ahead of his death. He says, my God will be able to rescue me from every evil attack. He believed it. But do you know what his answer was, regardless? And then I, but then he says something like, then I will be with him in glory. And maybe your rescue in the way you would like to see it happen is going to come upon death. That's okay. Not your first choice, maybe. But that's sometimes the way that God rescues people. There are martyrs and martyrs and martyrs and martyrs and Christians throughout history who had to give up their lives and give up so much and who weren't rescued the way they wanted to be. But somehow God in his sovereign will and in pleasure used that death and will use your furnace of affliction to his glory. And to that, one of the hardest parts of trusting is it's just to hand it over to God and to say, God, I don't like it. 
but I trust you so much that you're going to be there through me, through it all, until someday I too will see you in glory. The great doctrine of the sovereignty of God you must learn to embrace and order your life by. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. A, a hard teaching for some of us this morning. Because some of us didn't receive the, uh, the kind of rescue and deliverance that these three teenage boys did and that Daniel did. And that others sitting around us this morning in the congregation received. We've seen you, your, your power. We see how you stepped into people's lives. How you intervened and gave them exactly what they asked for. And to others... You didn't come in with the kind of rescue we wanted. Help us, if we're some of those people this morning, to have the even-if kind of faith and trust so that your sovereign will and your sovereign plan and purpose for our lives as even individuals may bring you glory and bring somebody to Christ. And help us to show, even when circumstances are difficult, that others around us who may not be Christians might see that our God indeed is worth trusting because he's a sovereign, almighty, powerful God. In whose name we pray, everyone say, amen. amen.